Today on Behind the Headlines, we are talking immigration, what's going on in legislation, and how does this affect you day to day as a Michigander. Joining us, Malachi Barrett and Lindsay Moore to break it all down. They're currently doing an amazing bunch of stories on this that we will link in the show notes. Let's get in to today's episode. As I said, our guest today, Lindsay Moore, Malachi Barrett, covering everything when it comes to immigration. And my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content for MLive, Mr. John Heiner. How are you, my friend? I'm spectacular, Eric. How are you today? I am excellent. I always say good morning or whatever, and I realize later that people listen to these any old time, so the time of day doesn't matter. But for those who are keeping track, we have a special matinee edition today. <laughs> we brought in the we brought in the afternoon crew. Kids get in free. People. It's you'll love it. It's great. That's right. If you hear like the cleaning crew in the background, vacuum cleaners and stuff, it's the afternoon crew. But um, M Lives had uh, we're in the midst of, a, of an excellent reporting series uh, on a complicated but very important topic, and one that we're going to explore today. Has lots and lots of tentacles, but it's it's migrant labor um, and immigrants and immigrant labor. And I think when people hear those terms, I think they think of images of people streaming across the Mexican border, but it, it's, it's, it goes much more dimensional than that. Um, it, it touches so many parts of uh, our um, economy in Michigan uh, and you know socially. And, and we're gonna get into that today with a couple of great reporters off of our public interest team. I wanna say good afternoon to Malachi Barrett. Hey there, John. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. And uh, also a uh, returning reporter onto Behind the Headlines, we have Lindsay Moore. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, John. So I did a really poor job right there framing this because it, it does have so many dimensions. Um, and the reporting continued today on MLive. I encourage uh, people to go back and, and find this whole series. It's been very, very illuminating. And what I like about it is that it, you dove into data and you told the story uh, through numbers, but you also told the story through people stories, human beings who are affected, but you in the small businesses and, and whole sectors actually of the economy in Michigan, like hospitality and agriculture that are affected by this. And it's having very real consequences. So I thought I'd just open up by throwing at the microphone open here and letting you frame what this reporting project was about. And then we'll get into some of the takeaways. Sure, yeah, so for those that don't know, I'm one of our statewide economy reporters. And so um, quite a bit of my year has been focused on this labor shortage and really looking at the big question, where are the workers, where are the workers, right? And so it just kind of spurred more questions for me about, well, where are the folks that we deemed essential during the, the midst of the pan the height of the pandemic? And also those workers that, you know, didn't always get the thank you that they deserved. Where are the workers in the back of the restaurant or the sanitation crew or the housekeepers? And a lot of times those workers are immigrants or in the case that we discovered, a lot of them are migrants that are here just for a short amount of time. So Malachi and I really broke down some different sectors of the economy. We looked into hospitality, which has um, a lot of migrant laborers, agriculture, as you probably imagine, a lot of farmers lean on that. And then also started to get into the high-skilled labor, quote unquote, that's really looking at STEM. Um, and we were surprised by what we found as well. And it really was an illuminating and long lengthy project. And I'm very grateful for the people that take some time to go through it. I think one of the key things that 
kind of excited both of us about this project early on was just this idea that, you know, a lot of the things that we consider pure Michigan, a lot of the kind of goods and products that Michigan has, has staked its reputation on, um, and even its, its tourism industry, a lot of the attractions that people come here from out of state and, and want to enjoy, you know, a lot of that relies on immigrant labor, a lot of it re relies on migrants coming in from outside the state. And, you know, everything from, from cherries, um, you know, fruit production to cars, electric vehicles, um, you know, and, and pretty much everything in between um, is kind of built on the, the backs of immigrant labor. And Michigan has had a really long history uh, of bringing in people from outside its borders um, in times of, you know, economic hardship and economic opportunity to, to fill the gaps in the labor force. Um, to recruit people um, for high-skilled positions and, um, you know, build a lot of the things that we're proud of here in our state. And there's so many facets to this. In reading your article, I, I consider myself pretty well-informed, but I learned so many things. But you have um, the normal immigration process for just people from other countries who want to come to America and become citizens. That's their goal. Um, you have immigrant seasonal labor, which uh, I'll let you get into that, but there are people who come come for six months and leave and come back and, and leave. And you have all of the businesses that rely on them, but then you have politics. You have this, you know, and what was one of the first things, you know, Trump said when he came down the escalator is, you know, we're going to close our borders. And, you know, one of the first thoughts I had is who's going to pick the pickles, you know? Um, and I'm using that example because it's a true example. There were uh, years, a couple of years ago, pickle um, uh, farms up near Bay City where there was a shortage. You're like, why didn't the pickles grow? No, they grew. They didn't have anyone to pick them because the little tiny pickles, you got to hand pick them. And they just couldn't get the, the normal migrant labor that they get. But you know what I learned in reading your package, uh, Malachi and Lindsay, is it's a combination of a bunch of factors that are hitting all at once. COVID didn't help. Um, but when people go out to eat and it says the restaurant they normally go to is closed at four because they can't get help. <laughs> I'm seeing these signs everywhere. Um, some of this has its roots in immigration policy. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, a lot of what I cover here at MLive is social policy. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the situation in agriculture and then Lindsay can jump in for tourism and, and hospitality industries. I mean, we've seen uh, really in the last four, four years of the Trump administration, but even kind of dating a, a bit back before that, um, Michigan's uh, farmers have really embraced uh, the visa program to help find people to work uh, on their farms, particularly during the harvest season, you know, the busiest time of year where they need people to come in and help, um, you know, gather all the, the crops that will make the farms their money. Um, and, and the big problem is, you know, you just can't find uh, Michigan uh, citizens to do this work. Uh, I talked with a farmer who said, you know, he's put listings up for jobs and he's only had, uh, you know, in the last, I think, five years, he's had two people apply and neither of those people lasted a week. And, um, you know, part of the problem is it's, uh, it's really tough work. You know, a lot of the kind of preconceptions people have about why Michiganders don't want to do, you know, don't want to perform backbreaking labor in the sun for, you know, 10 hours a day all summer kind of rang true. Um, but we're also finding that, you know, because these are seasonal jobs or temporary jobs, um, other holes in the labor force have allowed people to, you know, that previously were doing these jobs to, to move into other higher paying, more permanent positions. And so as our workforce has gotten older, people are starting to retire. We've got this big wave of baby boomers who are reaching retirement age. 
that's opened up gaps for, for people to, you know, get arguably better jobs in other places. Um, and, you know, the Trump administration's policies to crack down uh, on, on undocumented immigrants also created an issue for these farmers that, you know, really relied on a lot of um, undocumented workers. And, you know, there's estimates that, that range around 50% of the agriculture workforce is undocumented. And so uh, one immigration attorney that I spoke with kind of framed it this way. I mean, we, we talk about Michiganders not being here to fill these jobs. You know, there are people who live in Michigan who, who are willing to do the work. The problem is they're not citizens. And so when there's a, a crackdown on enforcement, you know, that created a chilling effect for farmers that had previously, um, you know, used a lot of those folks to fill the jobs. And, um, you know, COVID obviously also prevented a lot of people from uh, making the travel that they normally would. We talk about agriculture workers sometimes following the sun, mm -hmm. uh, following the harvest season from, you know, Florida West uh, throughout the season. A lot of those folks, folks weren't, you know, willing to make that trip. Um, and so what that has done is, is caused a lot of uh, farmers and employers to rely on these uh, guest worker visa programs to fill the gap. And so for agriculture, there's, there's not a limit currently on the number um, that's allowed in, and that's created a lot of um, opportunity for people to start using. And, you know, Michigan has seen a, a massive increase over the last decade. Um, and a lot of uh, farms have, you know, basically replaced their entire workforce with, uh, with visa workers. Well, didn't you write though, that there are caps on the number of visas that are allowed uh, each year and there's a lottery for, for people to get those? For employers? That's correct for the visas that are for hospitality or that's Not used mostly for hospitality. So there are two different visas, which um, kind of separates them. And that has been the biggest gripe for folks that are in the restaurant and lodging industry is that the demand is only going up for workers for a lot of the same reasons that Malachi outlined for agriculture. Um, especially, you know, I, I took some time to go to Mackinac Island and it's a hard sell to get people to go live on Mackinac Island. Everyone wants to visit, you wanna go get your fudge, you wanna do your horse and carriage ride, but you know, you're not looking to, to make a life there. And so they need these workers to come and more than fill the gap. I mean, I mean that's part of their staffing foundation, but the caps that they have are 66,000 for the entire nation. And that number hasn't changed in, I mean, since 1990. So. These business owners are, you know, really, they are gambling every year with their staff with that lottery that you mentioned because they don't know for sure how many workers they'll get. It's really amazing that in 30 years, as our economy has grown and has people's travel habits, I mean, in 30 years, there's been a lot of change. You know, uh, Airbnbs, Verbo, uh, the ease of air travel uh, that you, you would think that the policy, the political policy would stay in step with the need, the demand. What What is holding that back? It's a great question. It's one that business owners have too. Um, I don't know. I'll let Malachi jump in a little bit on that policy piece. I think, you know, part of it has to do with just the last, the last four years, the main argument against expanding a lot of these visa programs um, and expanding, you know, immigration in general uh, has been the argument that it, it limits opportunities for American workers. And so that, that was kind of the main justification the Trump administration used to you know, avoid making some of these changes and actually peeling back more on visa restrictions while businesses are, are kind of asking for the opposite. 
Um, and, you know, immigration has been uh, an issue that has long uh, failed to bring much, much change. It's, it's you know, a, a gridlock issue for a long time. Um, folks remember during the Obama administration, the, uh, the attempts to make some reforms there uh, infamously died. And, um, you know, the Biden administration is, is trying to start the argument again. It's running into a lot of the same roadblocks. But one difference that we're seeing is businesses have been a little bit more comfortable now coming out in favor of things like, um, you know, expanding uh, access to citizenship um, for undocumented people already living in the United mm -hmm. States. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, these, these are people that are already have established lives and are contributing to the economy. And so businesses would like to see some of the roadblocks to um, having them be full participants in society removed. They've been a little bit more vocal in asking for that. Um, and we've seen, um, you know, there's a big bill that's going through Congress right now, uh, Farm Worker um, Authorization Act, um, that has seen some bipartisan support. Um, the holdup uh, seems to still be around uh, folks who are worried about the impact on American workers. But I mean, again, we're, we're kind of seeing that the American workers really just aren't there for, for a lot of the jobs that we've been talking about. And that's why businesses are looking elsewhere in the first place. And that comes through in your reporting package. Um... Malachi and Lindsay, the, the kind of the plane of cry of business owners uh, needing some some change, some relief. Uh, they need more access to immigrant workers to take these jobs. You both gave examples of you know jobs that were open and 68 applicants. I'm, I'm make, kind of paraphrasing, but 68 applicants. You know, 10 showed up for the interviews. Two said yes. They didn't make it two weeks. You know. <laughs> Whereas, Lindsay, you're up on Mackinac Island, you interviewed employees who've been coming for 15 years uh, from Jamaica, you know, and, and, you know, they come and they have to leave because of the visa requirements. But, you know, that in its own way is a reliable stream of, of employees. And I was up north a few times this summer in the Traverse City area and, and on Mackinac Island for a wedding. And what I noticed, too, up north is uh, Eastern European workers. Um, talk because I always you get a server and they have an accent and you're like oh where are you from and they're like Ukraine <laughs> Ukraine excuse me or Lithuania and they all of them said they can't come and go back and then they come back the following year but it looks like employers are having to reach further and further to, to fill their needs oh 100 yeah and it was interesting to learn um you know I spent a lot of time at Mission Point Resort on Mackinac Island and they used to make recruiting trips to Jamaica pre-COVID and actually go there and interview in person and they would just describe these days long events of you know hundreds of people come out for these jobs they want these jobs and it's really become a recruitment technique too to not only have the same workers come back but you know they get the best workers when it's the sister the son the you know family members of the the workers that are coming back. Um, and when I asked workers about that, you know, why do you bring family with you? They're like, well, first of all, I know that the recommendation has to be top notch. I can't recommend someone that's not a good worker because it'll reflect poorly on me. And this job is my livelihood. Um, but second, someone described it to me as hot bread. That's how good the opportunity is, is that it doesn't get better than a hot bread and that they go home and they're just hounded with these questions. How do I get a job like you have? Because um, the exchange rate is so good. They make enough money in six months to then go home and build houses, to take time off and, and just be parents, to build college funds. I mean, this really does change people's lives. It's a huge opportunity for them. Yeah, as you pointed out, an American dollar, I didn't check the exchange rate today, but American dollars like 40 bucks in Jamaican, ja, in ja. So <laughs> it, go, it goes a long way. Um, 
You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. Today, we're talking about a great package of stories that our public interest team, namely Malachi Barrett and Lindsay Moore, have done on uh, immigration and immigrant labor. So continuing that today uh, in our conversation, I want to get at how you tell these stories at so many levels. Like I said, there's a data component, there's a politics, political component, but there's a human component too. And you both did a wonderful job of finding people who, you know, found employment, who've been affected by the inability to find workers, but also those whose families have come here and taken the risk to come here and start over. So when you're starting a project like this, tell, tell the listeners how you build this out so you can incorporate all those dimensions. Oof, all right. How long is this podcast? How much time do you have <laughs> to go through? Um, I pitched this project in July and I built out the budget for it. And that was the first question is, okay, who are we going to get to talk to us about this? We need the real personal stories because that's what drives it home for everyone to really kind of see yourself in someone else and, and kind of walk in their shoes. Um, and I won't lie, I think Malachi and I would agree that is the hardest part. There's a lot of research, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of experts that are willing and able to talk to you about this. Um, but finding people, a lot of it was going and just being there, being present. So I went to Mackinac twice and both of those trips were, you really shaped the story that we told about those migrant workers and hospitality. Um, a lot of today's packages that came out for this was Malachi being you know, central to Detroit and in those neighborhoods and talking to folks and touring the small businesses and really getting to know people because a lot of journalism is trust and you kind of have to have some of that face-to-face -face interaction for people to tell you these really intimate details. Um, I don't think I would have found out about the groundskeeper whose mother died two days before he came to America if I wasn't sitting across from him. Um, and I don't think, you know, Malachi can jump in, but I don't know that you would have gotten the same incredible details about the story of siblings who had both parents deported if you weren't there in their home talking about that. So it's a lot of boots on the ground work for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we cast a pretty wide net early in our reporting you know, wanting to talk to everybody that we could, making a lot of phone calls. You know, you, we kind of start with the expert level, uh, you know, folks who can kind of give us a, pic, a big picture on things, asking them questions about, you know, who would be good to talk to? Where should we go to learn more? What are some things that we're maybe missing about this? And that kind of helps point us in the right direction. I mean, I remember sitting down over the course of like three days, making probably a hundred cold calls to people that had put in requests for visa workers with the Department of Labor. Um, you know, half of those I probably got hung up on immediately, <laughs> you know, another quarter of them, I, I had the chance to explain what we were doing before I got hung up on. <laughs> and then there were some folks who were, who were willing to talk with us from there. But I mean, Lindsay's right. Like the most important thing is getting out there and, and talking to people. Um, and it comes from unlikely places too. I mean, I think that's, that's the importance of having journalists that have time and resources to go out and tell a story fully. Um, you know, I had just gone to an art installation uh, opening in Detroit that um, the idea was to kind of take pictures of, of people in the community and, and create like a mural of faces. Um, and uh, there happened to be uh, two women there who uh, had lost both of their parents uh, to deportation um, within a couple of years with each other. And it kind of has left their family stranded in the United States. Um, and so it was a, a family of, of four kids who are still here. Two of them uh, were born in the United States, and so they're U.S. citizens, and the other two 
rely on the DACA program, which creates uh, protections for people that were brought to the US illegally as children. Um, and so they're all kind of trying to figure out how to continue living and, and you know, be successful without their parents. Um, and they're all you know, under the age of 30. Um, the youngest daughter who uh, was in the vehicle when her father was, was pulled over and, uh, and deported is only 13. So part of that, what we wanted to bring forward there is, is you know, bringing a human face to these conversations, showing the impact of these policies and you know, really what it does to a family when they, when they lose um, somebody so important to their lives like that, the, the, the kind of mental strain and emotional trauma that has resulted of that um, you know, continues to affect all of them today. There's a rational part of these stories to tell that the reader who's reading this will, will latch on to, like, um, you know, there's, there's more demand than supply right now. Like, you could figure out that American, despite whatever anybody might say about these jobs should be given to Americans, there's not enough Americans who want to take them. You'll get that, you'll deduce that reading this package. But then you also find um, some real texture in there, like, you know, only 13% of Americans are immigrants, but they own 25% of the businesses or something of that nature, that they're, and, and they're making sacrifices to come here um, and take these chances and make these investments. And you had a story today about a store owner in Dearborn, you know, who he wants to be, he tells this, it's a great story. He wants to emulate Meyer. You know, the Meyer family who immigrants who started the grocery store, you know, and I mean, that the, Amer the American dream does come through in, in this reporting, even though it's kind of weighted down by immigration policy and enforcement and all these things, but that comes through in your stories. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important just to kind of recognize that the kind of person it, it, it takes to leave your home country to make that uncertain journey, you know, a lot of times when you, you don't have a lot of financial resources, um, you know, that, that takes a, a certain kind of uh, dedication and, and drive that um, you may not just see in the average person. So a lot of folks who come to America seeking um, economic opportunity, you know, they're, they're gonna get it one way or another. And there's been a lot of research done uh, that shows, you know, the, the economic benefits of making that easier for people. Um, you know, immigrants are more likely to be business owners. They're more likely to go to college. Um, a lot of the high-skilled uh, workers with advanced degrees that we try to pull in um, to our auto industry and, and manufacturing sectors here in Michigan, uh, they go on to uh, found you know pretty successful businesses on their own. Um, and so yeah, I, I think there's a real economic argument to doing all this, but you know the, the people that come here are are looking for work. I mean they're they're looking for opportunity. We talked to another woman who now owns a, a commercial uh, assessing business, and you know when she grew up, uh, her parents came from. Uh, from Syria trying to escape some of the, the turmoil and um, you know war that was going on there in the 60s and um, you know she was trilingual she came to the United States um, you know fairly well educated already joined the school system and people were uh, you know hurling racial slurs at her and she was very confused about you know why there were these assumptions that she was you know less educated than than other people and her first job was scrubbing toilets at a hotel and today, when she goes into high schools to talk to, to young kids about you know, how to be successful, and particularly in uh, immigrant communities in, in Southeast Michigan, 
she brings a toilet brush with, mm. with her to show, wow. you know, and, and it's this idea that like, there's no shame in, uh, in doing, you know, what maybe a, a lot of Americans would consider uh, work that's beneath them or, you know, menial labor that's not worthy of their time. You know, a job is a job. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it, it leads on to something more. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, when you talk to the employers in the hospitality industry, what do they say about the, the quality and nature of these workers' reliability? I was so happy to talk with employees because they were so happy to compliment and talk about these workers. Like they truly, it gets cliche to keep hearing, oh, they're like family. We get to know them so well, but I heard it enough that it really became true. And and so, I mean, again, with this cap and with the lottery, it comes at a great expense and a great risk to be relying on visa workers. And so, of course, my question was, why do it? Why pay immigration lawyers thousands of dollars every year? Why pay the fees, the applications? You know, why are you putting yourself through this? And, you know, it was just that we get such a dedicated workforce that we know that these people will do the job to, you know, the umpteenth degree. Um, it was fun to sit in the lobby, honestly, at that resort in Mackinac Island because the guest services front desk and the bellhop, they had a, a friendly competition to see who would get the most positive reviews and like who is the customer's favorite. And you can see why though, they're incredibly personal. People come, they recognize them, they talk to them every year. You know, they're on Facebook, they're friends and messaging each other. Um, one of the front desk clerks, uh, she even agrees to babysit when when parents want to go on a date night. I mean, they go above and beyond and then beyond again. You know, they're they're really willing to give whatever they've got because they know how good the opportunity is. Yeah. Last thing I want to touch on, we're going to go back to the Snyder administration um, before Governor Whitner, but he had had, uh, he, at least he spoke of an initiative to try to raise Michigan's educated professional class and population by uh, inducing 50,000 immigrants to move here. And I know it never got really off the ground, but some of your reporting today, Malachi, you talked about Michigan lagging. Um, I'm gonna let you take it from here, but in terms of population growth and like we're a little stagnant and, and the opportunity that may be present here if we embrace the op you know some opportunities to go after educated immigrants. Yeah, I think part of this just kind of maybe shows you where the Republican Party has shifted on this issue. Um, you know, in our lifetimes, uh, Rick Snyder, Republican governor, had suggested uh, creating a, a new visa for high school workers that would bring them into Detroit in particular, because Detroit, uh, as we know, since the 1950 census has declined in population, uh, you know, ever since. And it was, you know, at one point, 1.5 million residents, this most recent uh, census showed it. Um, I believe the number was 640,000. Um, mm -hmm. You might have to fact check me on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, part of part of that idea actually lives on in some proposals that have been uh, put forward to create these this idea of a place based place based visa where you would inject workers into communities that have seen population declines. And this is particularly happening in rural communities where you know people have been moving out or birth rates haven't kept up, we've got an aging population and people aren't necessarily, you know, coming up behind them, their kids are maybe moving to the suburbs or they're moving to cities. And it's created this kind of downward death spiral, for lack of a better term, you know, think about when people leave a community, housing values start to go down. That means your local governments have less money to provide basic services. When there's less services because of, you know, less tax base, there's less things that are drawing people in, they're less competitive in bringing in on businesses. 
which means you know less people are going to live there and the housing prices so it goes on and on um, and in michigan we've seen our population growth really struggle to keep up with the rest of the country the midwest has been dealing with this and in industrial states in the Midwest in particular have really been dealing with this. And Michigan lost a, a seat in Congress because our population gains haven't kept up with the rest of the country. Um, we're, I believe, in the bottom five in terms of population growth. Um, and so, you know, part of the idea is, you know, let's create ways to, to supplement that. But, you know, what we've also found just in looking at the numbers of the most recent census is that without um, the stream of immigrants that we had, Michigan would have actually declined in population. So they're helping to buoy some of that loss that's happening. Um, and you know, there's, there's been a lot of efforts to, uh, to compete with other states to bring in more immigrants, you know, to help kind of bring some of these communities back to life. Part of this is an affordable housing challenge as well. I think we talked a little bit about, you know, why are Michiganders not taking some of these seasonal jobs? Part of the issue we found is that it's it's uh, it's difficult to get people to move into rural areas um, where there's a lack of housing. Construction prices obviously are really bad right now, so houses aren't getting built anywhere. Right. And with the market the way it is, people are struggling to buy a house anywhere. But um, you know that's kind of part of the problem too is um, you, you can't really get people to move into these places, and it's just you know it's causing the the local economies to suffer. Right. So just to wrap up here, I'm just real curious. This is was such a multifaceted project. Uh, touched on so many dimensions. Lindsay, what was your favorite takeaway or most interesting takeaway for you uh, from working on this project? Honestly, I think what I took away from this both as a business reporter and just as a person is just that sometimes immigration feels so complex and so political and that especially if you're an American-born citizen like myself, you want to say that's too complex for me, it, it doesn't affect me. And really what this project has shown me is that it affects you down to whether or not Michigan has a seat in Congress or how many they have, or if you can get a reservation at your favorite restaurant or hotel mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's not just that this is someone else's problem. This is so weaved in, in the integral part of what, you know, our American fabric is. That's cheesy cliche, you've heard that, but I think we've shown that through data and through, um, personal stories that, you know, this is the future of what our labor force is going to look like and that it's really touching any facet that you can think of. Small business, big business, population, politics. Um, you can't escape this. You can't ignore immigration policy because you think it doesn't affect you is really what my takeaway was from working on this. And you, Malachi? Yeah, I think the thing for me was kind of putting what's going on right now into the, the kind of long context that Michigan has had with immigrant workers. I mean, we've always been in need of, uh, of bodies to uh, help drive some of our, our really key industries here. And that's, that's happening now, but just in slightly different ways. I mean, the, the rush for electric vehicles has really put more emphasis on bringing in uh, international students, um, making sure people have access to uh, you know, these advanced degrees. And there's a real effort to get Michiganders trained up to do that, but it's going to take time. I mean, we're, we're going to kind of have to wait for the next generation to be ready um, to do that work. And so in the meantime, I mean, people one way or another are, are going to get these jobs filled. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the emphasis on making sure that this is done in a way that protects people and their livelihoods. Um, that's, that's always been kind of the key question. Um, but just that idea of like, there are people in Michigan who are willing to do the work 
but you know they're not documented. That that was something that I hadn't really heard before, and it kind of shifted my my thinking on the issue a little bit. Um, and I don't know. I mean, there's there's action in Congress right now to open up some of this, so we'll kind of see what happens here. Well, Malachi and Lindsay, it's always a great conversation when you join us on Behind the Headlines. Thanks for your great work on this immigration package. We'll look forward to reading more on M Live. Thanks for having me. Check it all out. There's a lot, lot to read there. I hope everybody takes the time to read through it. And there they go. Again, a huge thanks to Lindsay and Malachi for joining us. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines. <laughs>